He's great. Welcome here this morning. It's good to have you here. Uh, my name is Luke. I get to serve as the pastor here. It's good to have you here for, uh, for this Sunday. Lots of announcements this morning uh, before, we, before we dive into the, the musical worship part of our, our service. Uh, first of all, fun news at our house. Uh, Levi William decided to join us on Thursday morning, and we're pretty pumped about that. So uh, pictures to follow eventually, and uh, everyone's still at home. It's just Kate and I this morning. Um, but we will, we'll bring him here eventually. So everyone is healthy and doing well. Um, announcements. Uh, in your bulletin, there was a, a handout. Um, FOSPA. We, if, if you're old enough to know what that is, then you're invited. Um, we discussed at great length, well, what, red ring baloney or something like that, and whether or not this has a place at the FOSPA table. Um, there was some animated conversation on that. Uh, I, I still don't know what that is. Um, but anyways, that is September 20. I wanted to point that out. Um, also, many of you probably knew Steve Ryan. He served as associate here uh, a few years back, uh, before my time. But his brother, Jonathan, passed away from cancer. And I think at, at a very uh, young age. And so um, our, our, just our condolences to, to Steve and Carla and to their family as they go through just a very hard time. Um, uh, for senior adults, there is a, uh, a celebration happening in Overland Park, Kansas, called This Is My Story. Uh, I hear it's going to be a good time. If you have some questions on that, uh, talk to, to Loretta, and she'll get you squared away. Uh, Wednesday night, we're getting ready to, to get geared up for Wednesday night again. And, of course, we're always looking for cooks, just because there's a lot of meals to cook. And so if you are interested in doing that, there's a bulletin board just right over here in the hallway. Um, a couple of you have mentioned meals, about dropping off meals at, at our place. And uh, if you're interested in doing that, contact Lisa. And there's kind of a neat scheduling thing uh, with the website, take, takethemameal.com, and she'll get you squared away on that. Annual reports are in your mailboxes. We do this meeting once a year. It's coming up. It's September 13. It should be a good time. Uh, I would encourage you guys to be there. Uh, um, just all the members show up, and we, we talk some important stuff and kind of review the year and talk about the budget for the upcoming year. And dollars should follow vision. And so uh, that's an important one to, to show up because we will be talking both vision and dollars. Um, I think that's it for now. So uh, perhaps I missed something, but, but we'll see. Let's do a word of prayer, and we'll carry on. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good day. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you sent to come and live and dwell, to encourage, to convict, to correct. Lord, today we're going to be talking about your Holy Spirit and, and how not to grieve your Holy Spirit. We pray that it will be your truth that's spoken here today. Lord, we just give you full reign, full freedom in our lives to do whatever it is that you want to do. We desire more of you, Lord. And so we say that this is your church, and you get to call the shots around here. We are so thankful for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your presence. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now we stand together and turn to hymn number two. It's the second hymn.
second song in our hymnal, number two, Come Christians Join to Sing. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay.
seated. Let's think about that song just a little bit, what we just sung, changing our hearts, oh God. We've been hurrying through the week, doing different things, probably um, making sure that we have food on the table, that kind of thing, and that's all good. But as we've been singing, change our heart, O oh God, probably there's a few more things we need to think about and do. As you think about that, I'll lead in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your great love for us and all that you do for us, how that you care for us. You want what's best for us. You want us to grow in our Christian walk. You want us to read your word, study it, learn from it live by it, and as we go about every activity through the week, that uh, in, the, in our mind we'll be thinking, how will this be a testimony for you, or how will it affect the person that's next to you? So give us the ability and the discernment to change our hearts, that you mold us, that you create in us new life and new joy and that we would be a testimony for you wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, for how great you are. We commit our way to you in your name. Amen.
for our prayer time this morning. Uh, as usual, there's no shortage of things to pray for. Uh, of course, we can be praying for uh, the missionaries. Um, they, we've asked for weekly requests from them, from uh, Kenton and Kedron Miller in, in Berlin, and from the Queerings, from the Rogists. Uh, elections are coming up. That's kind of a big deal. Certainly your radios and TVs have been bombarded with that. Um, also, be praying for um, Steve, uh, Steve Ryan for the loss of his brother, Jonathan. That's something. Uh, Valerie's father passed away, Cecil, Robin and Valerie. Uh, be praying for, for them as well. Um, and also, um, it's kind of more of an exciting thing, but uh, Henry and Lisa Ginter are in process of moving to Texas. And so uh, say hello and goodbye to them, but I would encourage you to pray for them this morning as well, too as they get ready for a pretty big transition. So let's have a, a moment of silence. I'll let you guys pray, and then I'll conclude our time. Father, we, um, when we arrive on Sunday mornings, it's always with uh, the last week's worth of baggage in tow. And so, Lord, I pray that for, for those just who are heavy, uh, weary, uh, feeling burdened, that they would experience uh, your grace, your light. Uh, Lord, for those who need encouragement, pray that they would experience encouragement this morning. Lord, we pray for, for Steve and for his family, the passing of Jonathan. Pray for Robin and Valerie, with the loss of her father. Lord, we pray for the Ginters as they get ready for a pretty big transition to relocate their family. Thank you for this time and this space. We love you and we worship you. Amen. I'd like to give a little background about the song that we're going to be singing, Ask Me Not. Um, about two weeks ago, Charlene and I, we were in, in Lincoln for a concert. It was Garrison Fields. Telling a story like he does. And all of a sudden he starts 
went home found in one of the old hymnals. And so we're, we'll be singing it um, this morning. spring of all my comfort, more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside thee? Whom in heaven but thee? Thank mm-hmm. you. 
guys. That was good. Well, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about a lot of different ways to grieve the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to do communion, which is a fantastic way of saying, I have grieved the Holy Spirit, and I need to make amends, and just... We're just going to kind of get things squared away. Um, We have been marching through Ephesians, as you are well aware, and um, been talking the first part of Ephesians about identity. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? The second part of Ephesians, more actions and behaviors. What does it mean to walk in the world? And then, of course, the third part of Ephesians, uh, what does it mean to stand against the enemy? Today we are in Ephesians 4. We are in... Uh, verses 25 to 32. You're welcome to, to read along or, or, just, uh, or just listen. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, may have, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put away, be put away from you, Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. You know, usually I'm pretty committed to walking through a text in the order that it appears in the text. So, uh, you know, if Paul talked about this first, and then this, and then this, well then, we are going to talk about this, this, and then this. Um, I believe that the author who penned it, which in this case would be Paul, and the author who inspired it, which we believe to be the Holy Spirit, uh, that they are very intentional about the order that, that they go through their, their material. Uh, but this, today I'm going to do it a little bit differently, and uh, you'll see why. I, I, I think both authors would be okay with it. Uh, but I want to start off in verse 30, because I believe that actually verse 30 is really kind of at the heart of this entire passage. And that in this section, what we see is we see this core concept of do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and then kind of packed in all the way around it, we have a number of sins, and then they're kind of their corresponding positive virtue. So we have this is what you shouldn't do, however, this is what you should do. And all of this is built around this central concept of do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, Charles Spurgeon had just some amazing stuff on... On grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and what, is, what does that mean? It's interesting that, that Paul does not write, do not make the Holy Spirit angry. I mean, if Paul had written, do not make the Holy Spirit angry, then we would have feared the wrath of God 
for our sins. But Paul did not write, do not make the Holy Spirit angry. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And use of the word grieve is both brilliant, um, but also just incredibly poetic and and artistic. Um, Let's kind of expand this. As an example, let's say that you, just kind of to insert yourself in the story here, I'm going to make you the villain. Let's say you, for whatever reason, took someone's car. Complete stranger. You don't know who, you just took their car. Uh, so you stole it. I guess that would be kind of the, the, the direct way of saying it. You borrowed it. You borrowed someone else's car, had a few beers, tore all over the county with it, crashed it in a tree and ruined it. What would you expect the owner's attitude towards you to be? Absolute anger. Rage. Wrath. Colorful words and combinations that you've never heard before. You're like, I, wow, that's that's creative. Um, dramatic gestures, all of which are rude. Okay, just a lot of just anger, wrath, malice. They want to see you put in prison for as long as possible. Okay, same story. Let's say you again. Because apparently you make bad decisions. Let's say once again you take someone else's car without permission. But let's presume that this time you took your dad's car without permission. Had a few beers, tore all over the county with it, crashed into a tree. Exact same thing. Now what would you expect his response to be? I mean, make no doubt about it, the guy's angry. But more than anything, he is grieved. He is deeply, deeply grieved. So what's the difference between the two? Anger exists in both. Very much so. But the difference is that in your father, there also exists love. And that love serves to to bridle the anger, to, to restrain it, to, to, to kind of take the edge off of it, to, to temper it. It's not that anger isn't there, it's rather that love coexists with that anger, and somehow the two are, are coupled, or, 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 or somehow that love kind of overrides the anger. Love takes that anger, it softens it, it takes the edge off of it. When you and I sin, that is a direct offense at the Holy Spirit. A direct offense at God. Um, It is the Holy Spirit who is wounded and affected and insulted by our sin. But because the Holy Spirit loves you, it does not express rage against you. Because for the Holy Spirit, it's tempered by love. And so your sin, which is just as wicked as it is easy, your sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Deeply grieves the Holy Spirit. The other thing that love does is that it redirects the anger. 
for the stranger who you don't know, his wrath is directed at you. He is mad at you. For your father who loves you, his anger and his frustration is directed at what you have done, not at you. When you sin, the Holy Spirit doesn't hate you. But he does hate what you have done. The other interesting thing about the word grieve, and and kind of tied in with this concept, is how we respond to the two different kind of emotions. When someone is angry with you, especially if it's a stranger... They, what, for whatever reason, right, they get mad at you, yell, swear, that kind of thing. Our response is anger right back. I mean, for some people, it's going to be in the moment rage. For other people, it's going to be a little bit of shock, a little bit unsettling. You're going to go home, think about it, and then it's going to be rage. But almost always, anger begets more anger. But grief. When you are aware that you have caused someone grief, when you are aware that your actions have caused pain, and and just kind of this tense, unsettled discomfort in someone either you love or someone who loves you, that's an altogether different response. We don't respond to grief with anger. We respond to grief with sorrow. And sadness. I mean, maybe if you're a super cold person, then you would respond with indifference at the most. But almost always our response is regret, remorse, shame, sorrow, repentance. Perhaps the greatest way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is with unbelief. That's not one of the ones that gets mentioned here, but we do see that throughout the whole Scripture. But for those who refuse to believe, That Jesus Christ is Lord. For those who refuse to be saved, when we distrust the promises that that he has given, when we reject the offering made to us. I mean, God sacrificed his son on our behalf. And when we reject that, when people reject that, I mean, there's no greater gift given. And when we turn our back on it, Could there be any other deeper insult? Could there be any other deeper grief that we inflict upon the Holy Spirit of God? (coughs) Excuse me. And all of our sins grieve the Holy Spirit. So it's not so much if we've grieved the Holy Spirit, but kind of more when did we last grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians. We're going to kind of work through some of the stuff that gets named here. Paul... I think, as I look at this, Paul kind of directly names a couple different sins. Uh, I think he goes after lying. I think he goes after anger, stealing, corrupt speech, and bitterness. And then he always gives kind of the positive counterpart to, to each of those. The first thing that Paul addresses is lying. He writes it like this, verse 25. Therefore, <clears throat> having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are a member of one another. I started up looking verses online. Oh, there's a lot. And if you include other words like dishonest or something like that, it's a big list. There's, and, and, and it is not soft wording. 
Um, Proverbs has some of the most colorful stuff. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Then he goes on to list others. Uh, Proverbs 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 10.18, lying lips conceal hatred. And whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 26.28, a lying tongue hates its victims. When you lie to someone, you hate them. Satan is called the father of lies, meaning that when we lie, we follow in Satan's path. Um, I think scripture even has a pretty colorful deal in Revelation about hell being reserved for liars. And in fact, some actually believe that lying was one of the first big sins to hit the early church. Acts 5, um, Ananias and Sapphira sold their land, brought the money. They donated some of it, kept part of it. Not a big deal. But they lied, and they said they gave all of it. And as a result, both of them died instantly when they said that lie. Paul gives the alternative, which is to speak the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. What's really interesting, though, is why. He says, for we are members of one another. One of the most destructive lies, I think, that we tell ourselves is that our sins do not affect other people. And in fact, they do. We see this here, we see this in other places. Your sins very much affect me. My sins very much affect you. Within your family, your sins affect your family. The sins of your family affects you. It is not isolated. It is not an island. Your sins affect other people. One of the reasons why we have to maintain a high level of integrity within our group is because we are all part of one another. You're either lying to people or you're lying about people. And both are destructive. So as one team or as one body, as Paul calls us, what we do, what we say, affects each other. Uh, next one, anger. Uh, Paul writes this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. This was kind of an interesting one to kind of try to nail down. Like, what do you, where, what, what do you do with anger? Um, be angry and, and, and do not sin. I mean, it, it seems to imply that at least some form of anger is okay. Uh, I mean, we read in scriptures that God gets angry. So, if God does it, does that mean that we get to do it? Or is it one of those things that just, just God gets to do it? Because there are a few of those. Um, or, or, but then later on in the same passage, we read, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. So how, how do we deal with anger and, and, and is it even permissible? What, what's going on here? Um, a couple kind of big picture concepts and, and then we'll come back to this. But within scriptures, there are a few things where there's very tight regulations. But if those regulations are met then there's freedom within that. And some have suggested that anger is one of those. There's very tight regulations within it. But if, though, if those regulations are met, then it's okay. Um, as an example, some of the other things. Eating meat is one of the big things where you see this in Scripture. In their day, culturally, you could buy <clears throat> meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And then I think it was cheaper. I'm not sure. 
kind of like a Walmart discount rack type thing. So culturally, one of the hot topics is, can we eat meat that was offered to idols? And so there's lots of discussions on whether or not to go carnivore or vegetarian in Scripture. And what you see is very tight regulations, but if those regulations are met, then it's permissible. A couple of other areas. You see this with drinking alcohol. You also see this with sexual activity. Very tight regulations around it, but if those regulations are met, then there's certain kind of limited freedom within. So, so is anger okay? Um, the common form of anger that you see in humans is kind of this, this where we kind of lose control, kind of this outburst, kind of this, this explosion of, of emotion, which is vastly different, though, than how we see God's anger. Uh, God's anger is not this uncontrolled, I just lost my top, uh, I've had it, I'm just, I just, he throws a temper tantrum. God's anger is very, very almost like calculated, uh, responsive. You know, we sin and we sin and we sin and finally God says, okay, there has to be a retribution for these actions. Your sins have warranted this consequence. God doesn't lose control. It's, it's, it's almost like an impartial judge, and he, he hands out consequences based on the offense. It's, it's almost mathematical or, or mechanical. Uh, when we see this played out kind of in humans, um, what, what, we'll, what we'll sometimes see is uh, sort of the human version is called righteous indignation. And it's traditionally held that righteous indignation, which is a fun set of words, write that one down, that righteous indignation is okay. And several commentaries said, well, that's what we're talking about here, righteous indignation, where we are mad about sin or injustice, you know, robbing the widows, uh, child abuse, uh, several things like that. And while I do, while I would support righteous indignation, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Because righteous indignation is something that lasts months, years. You want it to fester. Think uh, William Wilberforce and, and, and working to, to end slavery uh, in England, right? I mean, that process took years of just going after it. But the anger that's named here is supposed to be done by sundown. Whatever we're talking about here, when the sun sets, it's over. It's dealt with. No more. I think what we're dealing here with is actually more the interpersonal anger. Where we, where we offend one another, where we hurt each other's feelings, where we say something just without thinking, or maybe we were thinking, which makes it even worse. But whatever it is, do not sin in that anger, and you deal with it before sundown. Many of you who are in marriage relationships, you understand the value of dealing with it right away. Because the longer it sits and the longer it festers, the worse it gets. And it just becomes even harder to deal with. And it's a little bit awkward, and frankly, you look kind of dumb when you come back a week later. And you're like, so, uh, you remember that one thing a week ago? I haven't slept since then. I mean, now you just look silly. But you should resolve it anyways. But it's just a lot easier the sooner you, you deal with it. Stealing. Paul talks about stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. You know, after a while, you kind of start to think, man, this Ephesus crowd, they were a rough bunch. Um, if he's having to directly name these in response to problems in the church, uh, ooh, colorful. Um, the Greek word on this is klepto. Perhaps some of you have heard the word kleptomaniac, which is just you steal all the time and shame on you, but that's what kleptomaniac is. Um, but both the word thief and steal find their, find their root word in, in this Greek word klepto. And its basic meaning is to take without the owner's consent. If you have ever had something stolen, it stirs up surprisingly strong emotions. Especially if they entered your car and especially if they entered your house to take it. There is just a deep sense of of vulnerability, of feeling violated. Trust is just shattered. When When you have been robbed, it stirs up very, very strong emotions. The grammar on this is, is interesting. It, when it talks about stealing, it doesn't necessarily imply like a professional crook, although that would be illegal as well too, and you should stop if you're into that, but rather any kind of misappropriation. I don't know. The, I was single for a long time. I had a whole lot of roommates over the years. Man, I had one guy who was a horrible mooch. I hope he's not listening. I mean, he loves Jesus. He's doing good things, right? But at the time, the guy was awful. That strained the relationship to the point where we're still not friends the way we were. Just a year long of just kind of, I'm just going to take your vehicle and not even tell you about it. Stealing. If you're stealing, stop. If you're a mooch, you should stop too. I had like a page written on mooching, but I'm going to skip it. What is, what, what, what's fascinating about this one, though, is that it is not enough to stop your stealing, to stop your mooching, and to get a job and provide for your family. That is not what we are called to. That is inadequate. Paul says... They are to get a job, that they are to work with their own hands, so that they can actually give to others in need. The expectation is not that you would go from thief to someone who provides for his family. Even unbelievers do that. Whoop-de-doo. The expectation is that they go from thief to to philanthropist. That is the expectation. And the, I mean, we just have to stop and say that kind of transformation is only possible by the power of God. You don't kind of strong will your way from thief to someone who gives generously and abundantly and with joy. High expectation on this one. The other thing is that the grammar on this, when it talks about to share, is it's a very personal thing. It means to distribute personally. This is not through a third-party mediator. This is not kind of government redistribution of wealth. This is, I see a need in your life, so I give to you. It is very one-on-one. I mean, maybe if you want to be sneaky and put it in an envelope and not write your name on it, okay, that's fine. But it's still very one-to-one giving. It's very personal. 
So far, Paul has covered lying, anger, and stealing. It's interesting to note that Satan is directly related to all three. Satan is called the father of lies. He is referred to as a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we're talking about anger, Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. When we lie, um, when, we, when we steal, uh, in our anger, when we harbor more conflict for more than just a day, we reflect the qualities of Satan and not God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The next one, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting is a colorful word. It means, it means to rot. It means to damage. It means decay. Uh, it means evil and harmful. You know, you can say something, and it's just, it, it's just a hard-hitting comment. But, but there is also speech that is slow-working. It undermines. It takes time. It's like a crockpot type deal. It just slowly works to decay another person's reputation, their confidence, their character. And kind of that slow, corrosive, gradual, decomposing that is just as evil. As the, as, as the words that hit hard and fast. In the book of James, there is a massive section dedicated to, to the tongue, dedicated to speech. Uh, and it's just really intimidating. Let me read some of this to you, though. Uh, James chapter 3, uh, the whole uh, the 12 verses. I'll just read some of it, though. Uh, but he says, We all stumble in many ways, but if anyone is never at fault in what he says... He is the perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Yeah, he uses the example of uh, bits and horses and, and um, uh, ships uh, w- with the rudders, you know, stealing where they, where they want to go. And then he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This phrase here sets the whole course of his life on fire. There are sentences I could say from this pulpit that would end my career as a pastor. There, there, there are paragraphs I could say where I never again serve in ministry. There are things I could whisper to you, to one person, that would end my marriage. There are things I could type online that would do both. The tongue is incredibly powerful. He, uh, in James, he, he continues on, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water 
flow from the same spring. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That illustration is basically what he's saying is that your tongue, your mouth, can only produce one or the other. You don't get to do both. You cannot stand in here and pretend to praise God and then out there curse men and spread lies and spread slander and and say corrosive things about others. You don't get to do both. It's one or the other. There is incredible power in what you say. Uh, We can do great things. We can praise God. We can tell people about Jesus. We can teach the scriptures. We can affirm our children. We can protect the vulnerable. But to the extent that your mouth can be used for good, it can also be used for evil. Once again, you change the heart and you change the speech. You don't start with the speech in the hopes of changing the heart. You start with the heart. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth, over time, will absolutely, positively reveal to me what's in your heart. Paul continues on, but only... uh, I'm back in Ephesians, sorry, bouncing all over the place. Paul continues, only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words are to build up. Our words are are, are to affirm. And they are to, to fit the occasion meaning they're not recycled from last week or some kind of cutesy devotional. Like they are there for the moment. They are timely. They fit the situation. And they, they bring grace to those who hear it. Verse 30, we've just kind of been working through this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then the last couple verses. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I think on this one, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I think kind of the two contrasting deals that we see here are bitterness versus for forgiveness. Um. I'm not usually the type to kind of like lose my cool and have this big outburst of rage. Oh, but bitterness. I've got skills, I'm telling you. I can probably do this one with the best of them. There is a proverb or or a phrase, I, I couldn't figure out who said it first. Bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping it will kill your enemies. While you harbor bitterness and you fuss and you fume and you plot and your scheme. Meanwhile, they're getting a good night's sleep and haven't thought about you in months. With Paul again, we see the contrast, bitterness and forgiveness. And I think actually what we see is that both of them have friends that they bring in tow. That bitterness shows up with his buddies. And that these buddies are wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Malice. Meanwhile, forgiveness arrives with kindness and tenderheartedness. But we also know that, that healing and reconciliation are en route. Anger, pretty straightforward. We understand anger. Wrath, uh, the root word on this is something that moves violently. With great upheaval, it means anger or rage. Clamor. That's kind of a fun one. We don't use that one much anymore. We should should bring back clamor. 
this, this, is, this means to croak or to cry aloud uh, with a loud voice. Uh, another meaning is to demand with cries, right? Babies clamor. Uh, we talk about people clamoring for attention. So to clamor is, is to make a lot of noise. So if you're bitter, then this is the part where you are very vocal and very loud about whoever it is that you're bitter against. But slander... Slander is kind of that quiet, sneaky cousin of, of clamor. If clamor is you making a lot of noise, then this is you whispering in the back hallway or in messages, that kind of thing. And malice, that just, that's wickedness, evil, ill will, spiteful hatred, nastiness, uh, very reflective of the heart. Or the alternative, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grammar on this, where, around the word be, where it says be kind to one another, it, it's not static. It's not, it's not so much be as it is become. The grammar on this is something where it's continually and always in process and growing. Continually, continually grow in your tenderheartedness, in your kindness, in your forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness. We, we've talked about this before. Um, my current understanding of forgiveness, which may change someday, my current understanding of forgiveness, and I do think it is important to, to understand the different components, is that that is you surrendering your right to execute judgment. And you are surrendering it to a higher court. You're surrendering it to God's court. My definition of forgiveness uh, revolves around Romans 12, 18 to 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But now you need to understand that forgiveness is different than healing. Those are two different things. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. That's something else altogether. In fact, because reconciliation is dependent upon another person... You might never experience reconciliation. That's something else. But I firmly believe that you have to forgive before you can experience healing and before you have any hope of experiencing reconciliation. If forgiveness is you surrendering your right to execute judgment and you're surrendering that to God, it also means that you don't have to have a good attitude about it. You just need to do it. Which is, seems kind of counterintuitive. But according to my mentors, who have walked me through this, you can forgive with clenched teeth. You can say, I forgive, I surrender this to a higher court. Now there's all kinds of other disclaimers that we could talk about. I mean, if the person is in need of church discipline, then, then the leadership needs to step in and do that. If there is a courtroom involved, then that probably still needs to happen. Forgiveness is also not trust. That's something else. Sometimes we just assume forgiveness is everything's great and wonderful and I'm done and I'm finished and we're all happy and it's all great. And we take about nine different things and we clump them into the word forgiveness. And that puts incredible heavy expectations on you when we say you need to forgive. And sometimes it works to kind of tease out the different pieces a little bit and say, you know what? You do need to forgive. But healing is going to be separate, and that's going to come later. 
And reconciliation is separate, and we're praying that that will happen, but that's going to come later. And trust is something that needs to be re-earned. And there still may need to be some follow-up with church, church leadership or a courtroom somewhere. Okay, Forgiveness. Really loaded word. And always know that to the extent that you need to forgive is a direct correlation to the extent to which you have experienced pain. If someone has big forgiveness, do not get flippant with them because that means that there was deep, deep pain. It was all Small forgiveness, small pain. Big forgiveness, big pain. It's a messy one. We're going to transition here as, as I kind of conclude through this. We're going to transition into communion. So actually, if the, if the people helping out with communion want to kind of take your stations, um, how we're going to do communion... I'm gonna, I want to finish up Ephesians, but how we're going to do communion is we'll have people at different stations. If you're unable to get up and walk around, Erland is going to be roving, and so just kind of stick your hand up in the air. Uh, how we've been doing it as of late is that you just, you just do business with God. Okay, we've been talking about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a time where you say, Lord, have I grieved you? Actually, you say, Lord, when was the last time I grieved you, and what do I need to make amends for? After you've had a chance to make amends with the Holy Spirit, come forward. They'll, you know, body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can either take it there at the spot or you can go back to your seats. That's fine, too. I think we're going to have some music going or, or something. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's what communion will look like. The last phrase in this Ephesians passage is forgiving one another... As Christ forgave you. And we have to understand our forgiveness that we have experienced. But the thing is that you cannot understand your forgiveness until you understand the depth of your sin. If you think that you are a wee itty bitty little sinner, then you're going to think that you just got handed a little teaspoon of forgiveness... And one, it'll be a lie, but two, you're not going to be that grateful. We have to understand the depth of our sin, not only past, but, but present as well, and what forgiveness means, and what was required for, for God to forgive us through Christ. It is so valuable to understand the depth of our sin, because as we understand the depth of our sin then we understand forgiveness, right? This was the last kind of virtue we just talked about. We understand forgiveness. We understand the extent to which we have been forgiven, and then it actually becomes easier to forgive others. Verse 31, 32, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind with one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we understand the depth of our sin and the forgiveness extended to us, then we understand the volume to which God loves us and cares for us, and it becomes easier to verbally affirm others. Fitting for the situation, speaking grace into their lives. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When we understand the depth of our sin, we understand the generosity of God, and it compels us to live generously as well. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When we understand the depth of our sin, we realize that, you know, whatever grievance we may have with another person, it probably isn't that big of a deal, and it's worth giving them a call and apologizing or talking it through and working it out before the sun sets. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. When we understand the depth of our sin, we understand the importance of speaking truthfully because our integrity affects the entire team. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And when we understand the depth of our sin... We become terrified at the thought of grieving the Holy Spirit because we know that our sins are hurtful and offensive towards God, but His love is so great that He does not respond to our sins with anger, but with grief because there is such great love within Him. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Holy Spirit, at this time, we give you full permission to come, move, speak, encourage, convict, correct. It is very important to us, Lord. We do not want to grieve your Holy Spirit. So if we have grieved you, when we have grieved you, Lord, we ask that you would reveal that to us, that we can make amends with you, that we could be in right relationship with you, that we could experience more of you. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and work. We surrender ourselves to you and to you alone. We tell you, enemy of God, you have no place here in the name of Jesus. We forbid you from bringing any kind of lies or or, or distrust or untruth into this time and space in Jesus' name. That the Holy Spirit would have complete and true freedom here. We love you, Lord. Do business with God, and then whenever you're ready, come forward and someone will serve you some of the elements.
in closing, let's uh, sing a couple of hymns. Um, 512, Victory in Jesus. Let's stand together and turn to 512.